We're continuing with Jesus at the centre, and I've called it this morning, The War of the Worlds. I don't know if everybody's read The War of the World, anybody read it by, um, who is it, H.G. Wells? Yes, it was him, wasn't it? No, I haven't either. But apparently, it tells the story of Earth's invasion by Martians, who are ruthless and very highly intelligent beings. They arrive on planet Earth with one goal and one goal only, and that is to destroy every living thing, all human inhabitation. They destroy every human on the planet Earth. And we are at Christians are at war. Do you realise that? You are at war. Once you become a Christian, you enter into a war zone. Whether you like it or not, you enter into a war zone. You become a soldier of Jesus Christ, yeah? And we're all called into battle. We're all called into battle. We're not in conflict with the Martians, but with an enemy who is just as ruthless. And his aim is to destroy God's creation, especially you and me. Now our world is made up of various worlds, isn't it? We hear of the world of commerce, the world of big business, the world of show business, world of politics. And these worlds often come in contact with one another. And sometimes they clash with one another. And as Christians, we can easily live in our own little world, can't we? Separate from the rest of the world. And that is a huge danger. And as we continue with our series, Jesus at the Centre, we hear Jesus is speaking about the world and the part he has and we are to play in it. And this is all found in Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. So if you can turn to that, but it will come up on the screen. Remember Jesus here, he's praying to the Father. He says this, verse 6, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. They have obeyed your word. Evidence of being a disciple of Jesus Christ is an obedience to the word of God. Yes? Good. One or two nods. Now they know everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the word you gave me and they accepted them. Then they knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. So belief in who Jesus is, his identity is key to being saved. And that's what John's gospel is all about. The true identity of Jesus, the son of God, God in the flesh. He goes on, I pray for them. Isn't it wonderful to know that Jesus at the right hand of the Father praying for you and for me? I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that the scripture will be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Do you know the world hates you? When we seek to live by the word of God, we're in direct opposition with the world. 
We see that in our newspapers as Christians are being persecuted for their faith in their place of work. As we seek to live out our Christian lives in the world, according to the world word, we will be persecuted. We will be hated. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. The world, the word world is mentioned 12 times in that short passage of scripture. And when we talk about the world, we mean the planet earth, don't we? The trees, the mountains, the livestock, etc., etc., etc. But what actually is Jesus saying about the world in this chapter? What does he mean when he refers to the world? Well, quickly, the term world in the New Testament is translated three different, uh, from de- three different forms of the Greek word, which makes it a bit complicated in one way. So you've got 15 times the word, I may not pronounce this right, okiyumi, which refers to the first century Roman Empire, 120 times the word Aeon, which means the age, and this is the most important one, 187 times from the word cosmos, which I assume you're all familiar with the word cosmos, which refers most of the time to the ungodly. When they talk about the world in the New Testament, they're mainly talking about the ungodly. Occasionally, it can refer to the material universe or earth, as in Acts 17.24, and sometimes refers to all men, as in John 3.16. So what does Jesus say here? He says we're to be in the world, but not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Send them into the world. I have sent them into the world. We are physically present in the world, but not part of its value system. Did you get that? We are physically present in the world, but not part of its value system. We're not of it. See, when God created the world, everything was in perfect peace and harmony. Whether it was in the human kingdom or the animal kingdom. They were both ruled over by God. But unfortunately, we all know the story. If you read your Bible, you know your story. The great angel, Lucifer, Satan, the devil, whatever name you want to tell him. He wanted to be the same as God. He rebelled against God and God was war in heaven. God cast him down to the earth with a third of his angelic hosts. And from that time, sin entered the world as he tempted Adam and Eve. And sin, sickness, suffering and war entered our world. Ever since Adam's fall, we've been born into a fallen world. A world which is opposed to God and lives mainly for selfish gain. The great thing is, as we've been singing and talking about this morning, Jesus overcame the enemy. He defeated Satan at the cross. He rose again from the dead. And we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, a new world where we will one day live in peace and in harmony forever with our Creator and with our fellow creatures, our fellow human beings. What a wonderful future we've got to look forward to. If you're getting a bit older like me and your days are limited, we have got a glorious future in heaven with Jesus. Now, before becoming a Christian, I lived for no one else but moi. Okay? 
and I expect so did you. It was what I wanted out of life. What satisfied my carnal, fleshly desires. Money, cars, all the other things. Life was about what I could get out of it. What was my destiny? I was going to make my own furrow. I got plans for my life. I was master of my destiny and lord of my life. I did help other people. I wasn't all bad. I did help other people. I was quite a nice guy, really. But inside, I knew what it was like. But that all changed the day Jesus Christ came into my life and I was saved. I learned to trust and obey Jesus with every part of my life. I came to a point where I knew I had to surrender totally to God. And we've been talking. Some people have come to the forward this morning and submitted their life to God again. I came to a point where everything I surrendered, my will, my desires, everything to God. He was now my Lord and my Master. I came under His authority now. I came under His authority, not my own. And I willingly submitted to Him 40, nearly 44 years ago now. Can I just say, Jesus asks every one of us who become Christians to do the same. If you're struggling in your Christian life, it may be because you've never surrendered totally to the Lordship of Christ over your life. It's only as these people have kneeled before God this morning. I did that once. It was after I'd become a Christian and I wept my heart out and I surrendered every part of my life. And God took me and Mary on a journey which most of you know about. Now, when we use the term fall, when we talk about a fallen world, we mean someone or something that is spiritually moral and corrupt. Israel, God's chosen people, are described as fallen in Amos 5.2. It says, fallen is virgin Israel. They had become spiritually and morally corrupt. When we say Adam fell, we mean he's fallen from his original state of friendship and relationship and fellowship with God. He became at odds with God. And as our representative, he took us down with him. He was our representative and we were born into sin. As babes, we're born into a fallen world. And consequently, we are in strange and at enmity with God. But thankfully, God has made a way for us to be reconciled back to him through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus willingly came to pay the price for those wrongdoings, the sin which separates us from God the Father. John 3, 16 and 17 tells us, For God so loved the world, that's everybody in the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the, into the world, that's the world as we know it, to condemn the world, but to save the world, save mankind through him. So God loved the world, meaning all mankind, no matter what colour, creed or social standing. And he sacrificed his only son, Jesus, on the cross. He says we repent of our sins and give our life to Jesus, our saviour. Then we're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. This morning, I don't know everybody here, but this morning you are either in the kingdom of darkness or you are in the kingdom of light. 
And you only get into the kingdom of light where you receive eternal life, forgiveness of sins, by accepting the price paid for your transfer by Jesus on the cross. Imagine this morning that you are a footballer. One of my great passions. Always has been from almost that high. Maybe you're somebody like Jamie Vardy. For those who don't know, Jamie Vardy, three to four years ago, was playing non-league football for Fleetwood Town, not far from where we lived in Blackpool. He was probably earning around about 300 to 400 pounds a week and having a full-time job as well. He would come home from work and he'd go out for training, etc., etc. He then got transferred to Leicester City, which is a premiership club, for £1 million. Do you not think it must have been like entering into a whole new world for him? He wouldn't have to clean his own boots anymore or wash his own kit. He'd have somebody to do all that for him. He would now be training full-time and getting paid for it and getting well paid for it. He would play, instead of playing in front of 500 or 1,000 people a week, he'd be playing in front of 30 to 60,000 people. And I hear he's just been offered a new contract. Now get this, gone from 300 odd pound a week to 80,000 pounds a week. Now that is a totally new world, isn't it? He goes entering into a totally new world. The Bible tells us we are not of this world. Yes? We are not of this. We do not hold to the value system and the morals of this world, do we? We are here as a light to the world, to the other world. The world that we're part of, but don't hold its values. The Bible tells us that we are strangers and aliens. For Jamie Vardy, when he went to a premiership club, has said it must be like entering another world. The money, the strict diet, the training schedules, almost been in stark contrast to what he was used to. Jesus says in John 17, 14, 16, I have given them your word and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. What do we mean when we say not of this world? Well, the answer well, let's say the phrase comes from John 18.36, where Jesus says that his kingdom is not of this world. As Christians, we are part of his kingdom, which is not part of the world. Our citizenship, as Philippians 3.20 says, is in heaven. The world is not our home. We are just passing through. This is a foreign land to us. We may speak the same language, but we have a different culture. And we live by a different set of values and morals to the rest of the world. We're at peace with God, whereas the world is at enmity with God. The common Christian phrase that we hear said is, in the world but not of it. What does that actually mean? What does the Bible say? Well, let's go back to what Jesus says. They're not of the world, even as I am not of it. This is the high priestly prayer of Jesus for his disciples and you and me. And Jesus says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Jesus does not want his disciples, his followers, to be part of the world as he is part, not part of the world. We are in, but not of. A bit like UK and the European Union, isn't it? 
we're in, but we're not part of, are we? I don't know. Depends how your, your, your feeling is, that one. We're physically present, but we're not part of it. Do you understand that? We're physically present, but we're not part of it. I see things on the television. Me and Mary will look at one another. Let's turn this off. Let's change channels. Because we're not of the world. We don't hold the same values. And some things that come across on the TV programmes, great. And we just look now. It's not going to do us any good watching this. We might be enjoying the programme. It might be good. But language and other things, we just think, no. It grates, doesn't it? Yeah? It grates. John Piper, a well-known pastor and Bible commentator, says, but notice that for Jesus, not of the world isn't the destination in these verses, but the starting place. It's not where things are moving toward, but what they're moving from. He is not of the world, and he begins by saying that his followers are not of the world. But it's going somewhere. Jesus is not huddling up the team for another round of come by all. Remember that? Or bind us together, Lord. We're not to be in a little holy huddle away from the world like Plymouth Brethren used to be and some Brethren churches. They were separate from the world. We mustn't get stained from the world, so we must, they take on a monastic type mentality where they withdraw and all the world mustn't affect us. We just huddle up in our little cosy and we sing, come by arm, bind us together, Lord, and we're all happy and it's not what God intends. He says, enter verse 18, as you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. And don't miss the surprising prayer of verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. God has got a purpose for us being in the world. Yes? Yes. Good. This is the theme of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And the theme is what? Thank you, Michaela. I knew I could depend on you. It's mission. Jesus told Adam and Eve to go and multiply. This message has never changed. One of my favourite Christian leaders and authors is Rick Warren. If you've never read The Purpose Driven Church or The Purpose Driven Life, read them. They all speak about being made for mission. In fact, Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount says what? We're to be what? Salt and light. What's that for? You know, salt is preservative. It doesn't preserve the meat unless it's rubbed into the meat, unless it comes in contact with the meat. We are called to be salt and light. We've been there to be out in the world in contact and rub shoulders with fallen mankind. We've not got to keep away in our holy huddle. We've got to shine, let our light shine before men so they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Last week, Michaela talked about us abiding in Christ and producing fruit. This is not just about fruit of the Holy Spirit, but it's about fruit through our lives, that as we let our light shine, that as we're salt and light, it's fruit of people seeing our lives and wanting to know what is different about our lives. I think one of the greatest things I had was when I used to work at British Leyland, and I saw my mate Ego, Pete Eggleston, he was called, he used to call him Ego. He started inquiring what was different, what happened to me. And about a year later, he gave his life to Christ. He was at the front of the church building in tears. I saw him baptised in the Spirit and he's still going on with God. That is the greatest fruit that you can ever have. Who cares about gifts of the Spirit? I do. 
but in a way, who cares about them? I'd rather see people saved, life transformed. It's wonderful what we saw in all of the church, that guy who used to be on drugs, saved, and his wife saved. And his whole, they got married, and the whole family's back together. He's running his own business now. She ministers in the church, helping other drug addicts. That's what we're about, folks. That's what we're about. That's what we're about. People need to be challenged to a witness and testimony. The whole reason the Holy Spirit was given, that we might be witnesses. Not that we might have a great glory hallelujah time, which I love anyway, but the, the ultimate purpose that we might be witnesses to a lost and fallen world who desperately need Christ. Apostle Peter says in 2.11, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage you against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may what? See your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Did you know that your righteousness is one of the weapons of warfare? Paul says in Corinthians 6, 7, we're we're to have truthful speech with our weapons of righteousness. As you live out a righteous life before your work colleagues and those people who don't know Jesus, it is a weapon of warfare that God has given you. That's what it's about, living righteous lives. We live in the West and have a Western worldview which has its roots in Greco-Roman civilization, and it's been affected uh, with the advent of Christianity. But down the ages, that, that has been influenced by the, the, the Enlightenment movement and other movements, science and Darwinism, etc. So people no longer accept a higher authority called God. People live for materialistic, And we live in a consumerist society, the world we live in. I sensed, I was praying about this and I just felt God gave me this in a way. I sensed that the church has been seduced. How? By the subtle pulls of the world and its value system. It has been seduced from being the radical organism it should be into being a respectable, conservative institution without a lot of life. See, many Christians today, and I'm talking now about born-again, charismatic Christians, want their Christianity parceled up in a nice, neat box. They want to go to church on a Sunday morning. They want to have good, lively worship. They want to hear the word preached, as long as it doesn't challenge them too much. They want to go out of the building feeling good. Then they want to meet on a a Wednesday or Thursday, whatever night in their life group, where they can meet with like-minded people, enjoy a nice cup of tea and biscuit, and discuss the Bible. And they're very happy. Let me tell you, so is the devil. So is the devil. If that's all our Christianity amounts to, and the, Christ, we, the, uh, the devil keepers in that, is very happy. He's very, very happy. Is God very happy? 
Now, don't get me wrong. Sunday morning is vital. Life group is vital for ongoing growth. But if that's all our Christianity is, we've been called to reach a lost world. A lost world. I think the church, to some part, has been seduced by consumerism. I know of Christians who go to conference after conference after conference, meeting after meeting, saying, feed me, enlighten me, bless me, do me good. You notice it's all about me, not about Jesus. Do me good. Do me, feed me. You know, the Dead Sea is dead because it's got an inlet but no outlet. And if Christians just keep taking in, taking in, taking in without giving out, they're going to become stale and stagnant. Rick Warren says, have you ever wondered when a person becomes a Christian, why doesn't God just take them directly to heaven? The answer is that God has an assignment for each of us. You and I were made for mission. Say to your your neighbour, you and I were made for mission. Say it louder. Say it again. Have you got that? Doesn't mean we have to go off to the, to, 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 to the Amazon jungle or parts of Africa. We've got a mission to our next door neighbour. The person we rub shoulders with in the workplace. The people we meet at the supermarket or at the school gate. That is our mission. The people right next to us. But two dangers can arise of being in the world but not of it. First danger is this. We become so much like the world that nobody knows the difference. Jesus was not of this world, yet he attracted crowds and crowds of people. No doubt, if we did the miracles Jesus did, we would probably attract a massive crowd of people. But people also were attracted to him because this man showed such love, compassion, care, forgiveness, the way he spoke to people, the way he conducted himself. He never put people down, even with, if he was amongst prostitutes and tax collectors, even the religious, although he did call them whitewashed sepulchres. But with the people, the riffraff of the world, Jesus was there. They saw something in his persona. People saw him demonstrate love, compassion and care for people. He spoke and demonstrated such an authority of grace and mercy with humility. We can become chameleon Christians. You all know what chameleon is, don't you? It changed its colours to adapt to the environment it is in. So it's not to be noticed. We as Christians can easily do that, can't we? We can go to a party and we're the only Christian there. Or we go with the two of you maybe. And you're thinking, don't let anybody ask me if I'm a Christian. They'll ridicule me. They'll question me about my faith. So we merge in with our surroundings so as not to be noticed. Is that what God wants from us? It isn't, is it? We don't go and say, look at me. I'm a Christian. I'm better than you lot. No, no, we, we embrace people because Jesus loves the world. Every lost soul. And we, with God's help, must love them too. We must love them too. The Apostle Paul says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing 
of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is, good and pleasing and perfect will. So we're not to be chameleon Christians. On the other hand, the other danger is we can give off such an air of arrogance or self-righteousness that people are opposed to us. We can become superior or judgmental towards other people. We can have a holier-than-thou attitude towards others. We need to ask God for his love and compassion, his humility and grace for the lost, because there but for the grace of God go you and I. Yeah? Jesus was the most holy and most righteous man, man ever to walk this world. He always stood for truth and righteousness, justice and mercy. He never abused his position or his power. We need to demonstrate to the world the same. We will never affect the world with the gospel until we do what Jesus did, until we live our lives according to his teaching. He practiced what he preached. There's no hypocrisy in him. We should be the same. Mahatma Gandhi the Hindu founder of the modern state of India, was once asked by a Christian missionary why he often quoted the words of the Sermon on the Mount, yet refused to follow Christ. And this was his reply. I don't reject Christ. I love Christ. It's just that so many of you Christians are so unlike Christ. If Christians would really live according to the teachings of Christ, as found in the Bible... All of India would be Christian today. What an indictment. What an indictment. Mahatma Gandhi said that. What a man. I don't reject Christ. I love Christ. It's just that so many of you Christians aren't like Christ. Oh God, forgive me. Forgive us. That we don't demonstrate to our own family sometimes, to our even fellow church members, and the mind the world. And I'm just as guilty as you guys. I'm not pointing the finger. See, we don't have to go and speak to the world. We're not called to go and stand on the street corner preaching. But we demonstrate our love for God by the way we conduct ourselves in the workplace, the street, the pub, wherever. And as we do this, people will be curious about what is different, why we don't cuss and swear, why we don't enter into gossip, why we don't watch the same things they watch, why we refuse to do certain things and do others. See, we should always seek to do what is right, whatever the personal cost to us. Whatever the personal cost to us, we should always seek to do what is right. Sharing our faith the hope that is within us will in time bear fruit and we will grow spiritually. See, God's kingdom is all about a new lifestyle. We're new creatures in Christ Jesus from the moment we're born again. The old is gone, the new has come. I just want to quickly look at the first five purposes of the purpose-driven life. Rick Warren says you were planned for God's pleasure, to bring God pleasure by loving him, and what is called, in what is called worship. You were formed for God's family, to be a part of God's family, and that is called fellowship. You were created to come like Christ, to become like Christ, and that is called discipleship. You were saved 
You're shaped for serving God, to serve God by serving others, and that is called ministry. You are made for mission, to share the good news so that other people can be part of God's family. Your ministry is your service to other believers. Your mission is your service to unbelievers. Say that to one another. Your ministry is your service to other believers. Your mission is your service to unbelievers. It's not one or the other. Oh, well, I'm called to ministry in this area, and that's me. No, it's both. Jesus came to minister, to serve, but also to preach the gospel. We are called to minister and serve one another, but we're also called to preach the gospel, to serve unbelievers. You know, when we were young, our parents chose what we would wear, where we, which schools we would attend, where we went. Now we're adults, we get to choose where we go, who we see, what we wear. See, God has not taken away our freedom of choice, yet how many of us choose his command to go? How many of us choose not to witness when we could have witnessed? We often choose what we want rather than what God wants from us. He chose us to go and bear fruit. Fruit of the Holy Spirit, but also fruit in sin lives changed. So in conclusion, we are not of the world, even as Jesus is not of it. Therefore, let us live accordingly. Remembering God chose us for his mission, for mission to bear fruit. We are physically present in this world but not part of its values. We don't live by the values of the world. I'm going to close this morning with another football quote. I saw this watching Match of the Day the other day, last uh, Saturday or Sunday. And it's David Rocky Rollcastle, used to play for Arsenal. He died when he was 33 years of age. He lost his battle with cancer. He won two league titles and league cup during his seven years reign with Arsenal. He said this, And I think this is a non-Christian saying this. What words? They struck me. Remember who you are. Who are you? You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Remember what you are. You are a Christian. A little anointed one. Follower of Christ. And remember who you represent. When we go out into this world... We represent Jesus Christ. If you're part of Sutton Family Church, you represent Sutton Family Church. The way you behave will reflect on what people think about this church. The way you behave will reflect upon what people think about Jesus. Yeah? I'm sorry if it's coming a bit heavy, but I think this is so important that we need to remember who we are, who we represent. As Christians, we need to take these words for ourselves. Remember, remember them. Who we are, what we are, who we represent as we come into contact with unbelievers as we journey through this world. I want us to sing My Guardian. Let's stand. And one of the verses is, where you'll go, you go, I'll go. Show me the way. Every step I take, be now my guide. God on my side and I'm sure let's just bow our heads and just pray for a moment Father we thank you that when we lay our all on the altar for you you give us back so much more 
Lord, in blessing after blessing after blessing. Lord, we thank you that you help us to lay it all now. And I pray for every person here this morning, oh God, that they would be, if they struggle with areas, that you would help them to give their all to you. That there'll be no half measures. Lord, that we were in it totally. Lord, we give our all to you this morning. Lord, come and minister to your people this morning. As we sing this song, Holy Spirit, come, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.